Hey, it's uh, Flushing Transit Authority. How's it going today, Will? It has gone better. <laughs> is this season still going on? Yeah, yeah, it is. We are, we are at the end of May, and it feels like the dog days of August, doesn't it? It does. You know, we've said a number of times that you shouldn't panic until Memorial Day. It's Memorial Day. It is. So uh, we're gonna we're gonna have an episode all about panic today. Um, I should say another episode about panic. But, um, but this time we're really gonna panic because look, it is uh, Saturday, May twenty seventh. Um, Memorial Day is in two days. That's generally the cutoff of when you really start looking at the standings and seeing where teams are. Um, it's sort of the first. Um, it's the first milestone on the year. Right now, the Mets are six games under 500, and they've actually played worse than that record would indicate. Um, it's time to panic. I think. <laughs> However, before we panic, we have an important correction to make. In a previous episode, we stated that Mr. Met was involved in the Watergate break-in. We received a stern letter from Mr. Met's attorney. I didn't know he had an attorney. (laughs) Um, His attorney strongly disputes this information. As a result, we would like to rescind our statement implicating Mr. Met in the Watergate break-in. We apologize to Mr. Met and his entire family. Yeah, I mean, we can't say he was involved in the break-in, but the question has to be asked. What did Mr. Met know, and when did he know it? Because it's not the break-in. It's the cover-up that Mr. Met was involved in. It's never the bullpen management. It's the cover-up of the bullpen management that's the problem. I mean, look, I've been a fan of Mr. Met for my entire life. However, what has he been up to during the offseason? We don't know what he does October you know, through March. Um, I guess I should, this is the point uh, where I should probably come clean and confess that every so often I received uh, uh, coded uh, instructions to go to a parking garage late at night where um, I met uh, by Noah Syndergaard who wants to uh, get out some information about what Mr. Met is really up to. I haven't been able to share that until now. Um, I hope uh, I hope Noah doesn't get in any trouble. This makes Noah's uh, vendetta against Mr. Met make a lot more sense. Doesn't it, though? Yeah, I gotta tell you, though, if you're planning a robbery (laughs) um, or a break-in or something, like, maybe don't have the guy with the biggest head um, on your team if Mr. Met was involved, which we've stated he was not. He couldn't have been involved. How do you get that head through a doorway? Now we know why they got caught. Yeah, yeah. If, If he was involved. Anyway... Let's get to the current season. Unlike the early 70s and the Nixon administration, nothing is going wrong now. (laughs) A veritable paradise compared to the current state of our uh, our political establishment. So, let's talk about the Mets. Please. So anyway, (laughs) it's Memorial Day weekend. Mets are six games under 500. What do we do? That's a really good question, and um, I know this is an audio uh, 
medium, so the viewers out there cannot see the shirt that I'm wearing today, but I, I have worn a very specific shirt for this very specific conversation. It's a keep calm and carry on shirt with a picture of Mr. Met, because I say, don't panic yet. I know it's Memorial Day. I know this has been a bad, frustrating run so far, but I still have hope. Um, I thought you were going to go with the keep calm, but fire Terry Collins t-shirt. <laughs> now, we've discussed this off the air, and a lot of fans are discussing this. The idea that the way to jumpstart the Mets is to fire the manager. Now, I am personally not a fan of this. Because, one, I think Terry's earned the right to, um, to play this through. Big, you know, the big issue that comes up was if you were to replace Terry Collins, who do you replace him with? Um, and that's a tough question to ask. And, you know, we all thought for years that the, uh, the obvious heir apparent would be Wally Backman. Uh, he is no longer with the organization. Um, in really sort of weird kind of um, um, unsettling ways, last year he was very publicly fired. There was a lot of he said, he said stuff in the media afterwards. So um, that makes it clear in retrospect that that was never going to happen. Right. The idea that he was the, the heir apparent, um, clearly the organization was not as high on Wally as a lot of fans are. The organization was not as high on Wally as Wally was. <laughs> and yeah. honestly, I don't, I don't know anything about Wally Backman other than, you know, what I saw as a player. He seems like he's probably not the easiest guy to get along with. Um, so I can see Sandy Alderson and the organization saying, look, he's got a great record on the field, but we don't want to deal with him. Yeah, I can see that too. And, you know... It's funny, we as fans, we talk a lot on this podcast about the narrative and how narratives kind of take primacy over sometimes what is actually happening. And we as fans are constantly trying to create and recreate narratives. And one of the narratives that I think looms really large in our mind is how Davey Johnson became the manager of the team in the 80s. And there is this you know, he had managed a lot of the young stars in AAA so that when they came to the majors, he came to the majors at the same time. And so I think the Wally Backman thing was kind of an echo of yes. wanting to replay the Davy Johnson era. And that that story, in some ways, replayed itself with Bobby Valentine. Remember, yeah. Bobby Valentine, who had coached on the big league club, yeah. was managing in the minors. So a lot of those players who came up in 98-99 were guys that Bobby was comfortable with. Right. So to me, if, if this is a dynamic that works, if this is actually a thing that when they look at who they need to manage a team, if they're looking at, well, here's someone who has been with these young uh, uh, prospects for a long time, can come to the majors and help them adjust to the majors and get the most out of them, then I think we're looking at a couple of internal candidates. Um, the, the, the ones that leap to mind uh, are Pedro Lopez, who's the current manager of AAA, who I believe um, was the manager at AA for many years, Right, um, is probably the most uh, appropriate internal choice. Now, the other, the other name that comes up 
is, and, and this I think has something to do with the fans having a predilection for wanting their managers to also be stars. So there are two names that have popped up into this conversation. One louder than the other, and that one being also more ridiculous than the other. And that's David Wright. And there's been a lot of uh, conversation in the past week, two weeks, about, oh, maybe, maybe David Wright should be the next manager of the Mets. That makes no sense whatsoever. A manager of a baseball team, regardless of what we've seen from Terry Collins, regardless of, you know, how much we sometimes like to think that managers aren't that important, being a manager is a job. It's a skill. You have to know how to do a bunch of different things. You don't get to learn on the job. And you certainly don't get to learn on the job in New York City. Right. And let's, you know, let's look at a really important factor in this. David Wright intends on coming back to play. Yeah. Now, I hope he does. I don't think he's going to. I think we've probably seen the last of David Wright as an active player, but that doesn't mean that he should become the manager. Right. You know, unless the organization is like, well, David, we owe you a lot of money, <laughs> so we're going to make you earn this by raking leaves and managing the team. Pretty much. You know, and those two things are sometimes equivalent in, uh, in, in, in <laughs> how difficult they can be. And I'll how annoying take the leave-raking. But, um, but it's just this ridiculous attempt to fit this story onto reality. We don't even know if David Wright wants to be a manager. Like, you have to want to do this job. It is not an easy job. I know we all want him to be part of part of the team. But this is something that's not that different from uh, the, the idea of fantasy casting. When you, you know, hear about a book that you love is being made into a movie. Or, you know, you hear about, like, some, some movie or TV shows being made. And people start fantasy casting who should be in it. And you look at their choices and it's like, well, these are all A-list movie stars that, A, you're never going to afford. Um, B, would never do this project. Um, this makes no sense. Yes. And the idea that, you know, there are fans who are saying, hey, David Wright should manage this team, tells me there are no obvious candidates out there. Yeah. There are no obvious name candidates out right. there. Now, I've already said Pedro Lopez. The other name that I think would be interesting that could kind of kill two birds with one stone in that you get an organizational guy who has managed and coached for a long time, but also has a name and a name recognition, and that's Edgardo Alfonso. Now, I have no idea if Edgardo is ready to manage at the major leagues, um, but I would not be surprised if he at least got uh, consideration or, you know, ended up on the major league coaching staff. We should also say, however, that if the Mets make a managerial change, they are not allowed to hire a new manager on more than an interim basis without doing a search. And there are minority hiring protocols that are in place that are, that should be in place because baseball's record is, is, is atrocious. So it's possible that there are candidates we're not even thinking of or not, right. you know, in our organization that would be a great fit and that we should take the time to think about. The Alfonso idea is really interesting. Um, Partly because I know he's wanted to get back with the Mets. Yeah. In a lot of, either in a coaching capacity. You know, there was a time a few years ago where he just said straight out, look, I can still play <laughs> and I would like to get a shot. And the Mets, yeah. the, this is the point where he was playing, I think, independent ball or playing in the Atlantic League. 
And he said, I want to get another shot. That didn't work out. Right. Um, I don't think the Mets ever took it seriously. But he's a guy who um, I loved as a player. And if we're going to give a former player and a name a chance, I would yeah. love to see. I mean, he's still, at some point, I don't know if he's still managing Brooklyn, but he was managing the Brooklyn Cyclones for a while. Yes. He may still be. If um, there only there was a way to yeah. find out. If only, if only we had a machine that we could go look up, that up on. Um, but we're not going to. Yeah, we're not um, going to go, Siri, tell me what Edgardo Alfonso is up to. Because if there's one thing that defines Mets fans, is we're just going to talk about what we think we know without actually looking up what is really happening. Right. So the other option the organization could take, if they think that this season is a lost cause, would be to fire Sandy Alderson. Again, same problem. Who replaces him? Plus, I think firing a general manager midseason um, is a disaster. Yeah, I, I think this is a lot less likely um, for all those reasons, and and I think also because it's it seems pretty clear that um, the Mets have been grooming uh, assistant GM John Ricca uh, for a long time, right? To eventually take over as GM, and this is the last year of Sandy Alderson's contract. So, unless he re-ups, he may not be here next year anyway. True. Um, I mean, Sandy's... Is he 70 yet? Late 60s. Late 60s, approaching 70. Yeah. So, I mean, he's got to be to the point where he's basically saying, I'm getting too old for this shit. Possibly. Pulls a Danny Glover and decides (laughs) he doesn't want to be involved with the Mets anymore. Um, Like you, I don't think that that is a, um, a reasonable scenario. Yeah. Um... It's too much of a change to let go of essentially, you know, your management staff yeah. when you've got the rest of the season, you've got a draft, you've got player moves, not going to happen. The most likely option, in my opinion, is Sandy Alderson attempts to make some moves, trade some players. Question is, who can we move? Who can the Mets get in return? I also realize that I am so in deep with this panic (laughs) that I'm doing that thing where I call the team we. Mm. And you know what? I am not a member of the New York Mets organization. (laughs) So Check your pay stub. Does it say New York Mets or or, or, or Sterling Mets on the top? Exactly. No. Right. Mets, please continue to withhold my paycheck because I am (laughs) not earning it. But if I were on the payroll, question becomes, who can the Mets move? What can right. they get back for it? And I think the question is, is you gotta, you got you to answer one question first, which is, are you making moves because you think you're close this year and with a reconfiguration you can get back in it? Or are you doing the thing where you decide relatively soon that you're going to cut bait on this year and just say, you know what, this is not the year. Let's move as many people as we can, get as many prospects back as possible, but don't rip things apart so next year we are still ready to be right in it. Yeah. I, I think that's the first the first question. I mean, they're not going to rebuild. That's yeah. not, you know, they're not going to completely do a fire sale. That doesn't make any sense. The thing is, you know, May, June 1st may be the first point where you can panic, but it's probably too early to decide are you in it or not Yeah, because of the second wild card. Right now, the Mets are 
uh, six and a half games back of that second wild card spot. Yeah. Um, not great, but even June 1st is too early to say, hey, we're not going to make a run at it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and I still maintain, and I've said this previously, and I'm still here, even after the past two weeks in, of frustrating uh, play, um, I've seen worse. We've had worse stretches as as Mets fans with teams that have ultimately been successful. And, you know, I, I think I said this last week. How many times in the past would we be watching a game and the Mets would go down by two runs and we'd feel, well, there's no way they're going to climb out of that. Nobody can hit. We're never going to score. And it's just these long, slow slogs of games that just felt futile. Yes. This year, we have had a lot of games that have been tough losses. They've been tough losses because the team was in it, and they could have won. Right. It was very easy to be a fan of, say, the 2004 Mets or the, you know, 2009 to 2013 because you knew they weren't going to be good. Yeah. And you watched because you loved the team, but you expected the loss and the win was a bonus. This year, on paper, the team had everything going for it. I wouldn't go that far. The team had a lot going for it. It had a lot of of question marks. But every team every year has question marks, and every team every year has things that happen that they don't expect. I don't think anybody would have expected that the pitching has been as weak as it has been. Right. We were going into the season thinking we had at least – Five yeah. quality starters. Um, and three of those five, maybe four of those five, were possibly all-star caliber yeah. starters. Yeah, yeah. And it just hasn't turned out that way. Now, Jacob deGrom has had some struggles, but it seems like he's right at that shit. Um, I want to leave Matt Harvey for later. We've talked a lot about Matt Harvey, and and, and um, we'll, we'll get back to that a little later in the show. Um Noah Syndergaard is hurt. Like, you know, forget, like, the reasons why it happened. It happened. He's hurt. Robert Gazelman, perhaps, we overvalued. He had a great six weeks at the end of last year, and we decided that that makes him an ace. That, or at least a potential solid middle-to-back-of-the-rotation guy. Uh, New York fans don't do middle-to-back-of-rotation guy. If you're good, you're an ace, and if you're not good, you're a bum. So essentially, um, you're either all-star Cy Young candidate or you're Rafael Montero. Pretty much. There is no in the middle. Um, Yeah. So, like, you know, the pitching has struggled uncharacteristically. um, But I am still a big believer that this season is far from over. We are this close to getting Mats and Lugo back. And it's hard to count on either of them. It's hard to it's hard to count on Mats because he hasn't been able to stay healthy for longer than a couple of months at a time, but you know, fingers crossed. I still think even if Lugo comes back, I think we have him for six to eight weeks before he blows his elbow out. Well, but I'll take those six to eight weeks. We need those six to eight weeks. Seth Lugo is a guy who I like a lot, um, both from his time with the Mets, um, also his performance in the World Baseball Classic. Yeah. 
He's a guy who I root for, and I would like to see him come back in whatever capacity he ends up in. I hope it's a starter. Um, if not, again, he's a guy who I like to watch, and I, I right. feel comfortable seeing Terry give the ball to um, Seth Lugo, which I can't say the same for, let's just throw a name out there, Rafael Montero. <laughs> let's, 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 let's ease up on Rafael. He is now back uh, comfortably ensconced in Las Vegas, um, probably never to appear again in, uh, in, in, a, in a Mets uniform. I would be shocked. Um, that's a guy that just really, really, if ever somebody needed a change of scenery and just needed to be around a different organizational philosophy, it's yes. Rafael Montero. Because Rafael Montero's got great stuff. Yeah. Like, if you look at Rafael Montero, you have to say, how are people hitting him as hard as they do? Um, I don't know him. I don't know what kind of guy he is. By all, you know, I've never heard a bad word about the guy as a person. Mm-hmm. Um, but if there was ever somebody who could use, you know, like you said, a change of scenery, right. a different organizational philosophy, it's him because it's not working for him here. All right. So we're, we're, we're getting rid of Montero, obviously. But let's let's get back to the question. If you're trading players this season, who goes? Well, let's let's start with who doesn't go. Okay, that's easy. There are two players in the organization who I would not trade. Okay. Michael Conforto. Absolutely. Ahmed Rosario. Absolutely. I would move anybody else in the organization. Interesting. Including Noah Syndergaard. Including Noah Syndergaard. Wow. If okay. history has taught us anything, <laughs> sell high. Sell high on pitchers. Yeah. Look, yeah. the best move Sandy Alderson has made as a GM was flipping R.A. Dickey for Noah Syndergaard and Travis Darnell. Mm-hmm. Great deal. Yeah. You sold high. Yeah. Jay, you yourself told me <laughs> after that deal was made, you make that trade 100 times out of 100. In retrospect, the Mets, after 2012, Best thing they could have done, trade Matt Harvey. He was at peak value. Now, we have seen time after time with every organization. This is not something that the Mets are snake bit with. Um, pitching is a very fragile commodity. Yes. And if you can trade a pitcher for more pitching, I think you make that move. I don't know if I agree. That's because there's something about, I mean, and to a certain extent, we as Mets fans are still, we are still living in the shadow of Tom Seaver. We are still living with the idea that there is one guy, one pitcher who will put a team on his back and just make it happen. And we had it with him. We had it with uh, Doc Gooden for a couple of years. Um, and I would I would even put Al Leiter in that in that category for a very short window. I, yeah, and I think in our memory, Al Leiter was Al Leiter was better in our memory than Maybe. he was in reality. Again, tip of the hat to our buddy Matt Callen, who we will have on here at some point, who goes in uh, his book Yells for Ourselves goes into a lot of detail about really the ups and downs of Al Leiter mm-hmm. and how Al Leiter. Um, was his own worst enemy on the field. Hmm. Um, I wouldn't put him, other than for a very short period of time, 
in the 98-99 season, and I would even say that that time straddles those two seasons rather maybe, than... Maybe. But I think... But you think about what happened when, when Pedro Martinez came to the Mets. Right. And, like, he, he wasn't the Pedro... We Santana. Like, we had that number one guy that it just made everyone feel better. Of course, it <laughs> makes you feel great. And we want that number one guy. It's, it's pretty clear that at this point, we just have to accept the fact that our number one guy is Jacob DeGrom. Yes, and absolutely. as gaudy as as Cindergard can be and as powerful as Harvey used to be, um, we're not going to have those things. Right. But let's face facts here. Trends in baseball make starting pitching worth less and less. Yes. You know, Tom yeah. Seaver regularly pitched nine innings. Mm-hmm. And if it didn't go nine, look at Seaver's innings pitched per year. Mm-hmm. Seaver regularly pitched... In the high 200s to 300 innings per season. A starting pitcher is worth less. You're lucky today with the way players are used with five and in some cases six-man rotations where a starting pitcher, if you go six innings, you've done your job. You're lucky if you approach 200 innings. So for my money, what's worth more? An everyday player who you can give... 600 plate appearances to, mm-hmm. or somebody who's going to give you 175 innings. I think it's easier to replace those innings than it is to replace mm-hmm. that production at the plate. I would rather go for a take your quote unquote ace and move it for a solid innings eater. Mm-hmm. I realize I'm in the minority okay. there, but I feel like. Spending your money on starting pitching is a losing proposition because starting pitching has has never had as little value as it has today. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna think about that for a bit. Um, you would so you would trade anybody on the roster. You trade you would trade Jacob Degrom. I would trade Drake, Jacob Degrom. Wow. Jacob Degrom is now 29 years old. Mm-hmm. We ha- Again, I'm being very mercenary here. Yeah. We have seen the best of Jacob DeGrom. Jacob DeGrom will never be as wor- worth as much to the team as mm. trade chip as he is today. Okay, so the two people you would not trade, Conforto and Ahmed Rosario. Yes. Sir. I would add a third name. Okay. Um, I would add Dom Smith. Okay. I haven't seen enough of him. So if, if, I'm, if I'm Sandy Alderson and I'm making trades... Um, there is this scenario that I, that, that we, we mentioned before this, you know, we're going to cut bait on this year and try and retool quickly for next year. In that scenario, you could even fire Terry Collins in this scenario because it's the, it's the, let's get a head start on next year. So let's get people in here now. So I'm not saying you can get a lot back for many of these people, but you know, I would trade Lucas Duda. And call Dom Smith up. Yeah. I would trade, um, um, I don't know if there is a market at all for Granderson at this point. I, probably you'd have to pay somebody. Unfortunately, there him. is no market for Curtis Granderson. Um, Curtis Granderson, who, if you're listening, I love you, Curtis. Yeah. Um, I just feel that your days as a productive player right. and for this team and as a productive player right. in the National League are, are done. Done. You got to trade him to an American League team. I trade Jay Bruce. Jay Bruce has been fantastic, but 
we are at a point where it may be more important to clear that spot so Michael Conforto can just move to right field and be a right fielder. Yes. And um, get rid of this, you know, this outfield logjam. Right. Um, now, I trade Neil Walker. Um, right, not because he's bad, but because he has value. He has and value. We can get and something he's for him, deal. and we can put Wilmer Flores at second base. Now that Wilmer seems to have figured out how to hit both righties and lefties, he looked good this week. You know, get him in the lineup and just give him a spot and let him play and see what happens. Right um, now, the big thing is. When I was making my list of untouchables, I didn't include Ioannis Cespedes in that list of untouchables. That's right. Because Mm -hmm. people will overpay for Cespedes. Just like they overpaid for Dickey based on winning a Cy Young award. I don't agree. They will not overpay for him right now because of injury. He's he's injured, but he's got three years left. Um, And the injuries he's had, I think, maybe I'm wrong here, um, you get somebody with Let's just call it what it is, a, uh, a better um, training staff. <laughs> Cespedes' injuries have not been torn ligaments, have not been broken bones. Cespedes' injuries are stress injuries, mm-hmm. are injuries that could be improved with better training. Um, Different training. And I think this is the – we've started to see now uh, in, in the press there have been some stories – there's a great story that I think ESPN.com ran last week um, that delved into the Mets training situation and how it's not the most unified of systems, but how also that's not that the Mets are just doing things differently than everything else, that this is something that's happening across the league. And perhaps systems have gotten to a place where they need a broad rethink. Um, we pitched on a previous episode the idea of head trainer Bartolo Colon and the idea that flexibility and strength are more important than raw power. And both Cespedes and Syndergaard are training in this this uh, modality that values raw power that also seems to get them injured. Right. You know, Syndergaard looking to throw 103 miles an hour mm-hmm. when throwing 99 will do. Yeah, that's fine. So I I would not trade a lot of these people. Okay. I would leave Cespedes where he is, um, but I can imagine I can imagine July. Let's say July rolls around the non waiver deadline, yeah. July thirty first. July thirty first. So let's say we get to mid July and it's clear that that it's not happening and they decide to cut bait. I would trade all of these. I would trade all the people I mentioned for whatever. Jay Bruce, Neil Walker. I think the biggest challenge, actually, in this is is um, we need a catcher. We need a catcher that we can rely on that right. is not Rene Rivera, as as fine as Rene Rivera has been. It, it really feels like if if Rafael Montero has used up his last chance, it really feels like Travis Darnell is on his last chance. Yes. Um, and I don't know who the answer to that that is. Well, the issue but with catchers. Find someone else, even just to to, to temporarily uh, slot in. Trade Duda, bring Dom Smith up, give him first base. Um, the one person I would actually hold on to for a little bit um, would be Esdrubal Cabrera. Slide him over to third, call Rosario up, give him short. Um, Rosario... Um, oh, no, Rosario yeah. has played short. Yeah, Rosario's yeah. a shortstop. He played it in double A. He's but specifically keep now. Cabrera around in a mentorship capacity to help um, 
help guide Ahmed Rosario to the major leagues. I can see that. Put Flores at second base, Dom Smith at first, uh, Conforto in right, let Lagares play center field. If we're if we're out of it, we're out of it. Um, try and get the pitching back to a, a, a level of health. And then we're like retooled and ready to go for the next year. And if we need to make changes in the offseason, that's finding a bona fide center fielder, finding a bona fide third baseman and catcher. Yeah, I think you've just saved the Mets. <laughs> John Rico, call me. So if are we looking at, you know, a Manny Machado oh, at man. third base? Wow. Um, you know, we might be actually be in a in a position, especially if we if we can say we can say Dom Smith and Ahmed Rosario are going to be fine, which we we don't know. Like they come up, they you know, everyone went crazy this year about how Michael Conforto was on the bench. How could he be on the bench? He earned his spot on the bench with a dismal last year. Like yes. the games are played on the field. So, you know, Ahmed Rosario could come up and struggle. Dom Smith could come up and struggle. We're assuming they won't. So okay. let's assume that for a second. Then maybe they have the ability to overpay for a third baseman or a center fielder. Right. When you um, don't have to lock up a lot of money yeah. in, you know, a couple of spots, you've got money to spend elsewhere. Yeah. Remember, yeah. the greatest gift the Mets organization has ever got was Michael Kadire saying, hey, guys, I'm going to leave $15 million on the table. Yeah. Here you go, go get yourself a good assessment. Mr. Mr. Kadire, yeah, thank you so much. And you know, to be honest, the story, the fairy tale story, I would like to see for David Wright to play out is that one. Yes, I don't want him to be fairy tale become the manager. I want him fairy tale to leave whatever like the tens and dozens of millions of dollars he has left on his contract on the table, so the Mets can go out and sign someone like Manny Machado. However, uh, an attorney from the Players Association has just burst into my apartment <laughs> to tell me that... That ain't gonna happen. ...that David Wright will not leave that money on the table. Yeah, I'm sorry. Please. Attorney from the Players Association, be gone. Go go talk to Mr. Mets' attorney. He's, yes. uh, he's outside. Um, yeah. So, clearly, we have some differing opinions on who's movable. Yeah. But I think... We probably get another month before we are at the Fisher Cut bait. Yeah, because point. I mean, to my mind, like I, I don't think this season is over. The rest of the National League is terrible. Like there are what four teams playing well in the whole league. Yeah, like there's a lot of time left, and there's a lot of baseball left to be played. But even if they do not make it this year, I still feel really, really positive about the the core of this team. Um, and I can't wait to see Ahmed Rosario in the majors. And Michael Conforto has just been on another planet for the past month. And it's been really, really enjoyable to watch. He's really, really been fun yeah. to watch. Yeah. Um, and if our time with Granderson is done, if our time with Neil Walker and his Drupal Cabrera and Lucas Duda is done, that's, you know, that's okay. Like, we can survive that. Now, looking at the schedule... My question is, who do the Mets get healthy against? Now, the thing is, I, I always do this thing where I look at the schedule. And I'm like, okay, you got how many games in the month of June? You got, uh, you got what, about 26, 27 games in the month of June? And they'll go 25 and 2 over that span. <laughs> yeah, you got to stop doing that. I know. This is, this, is, this is the problem. I right. look at it, and I'm like, oh, easy <laughs> wins. Yeah, we got them. Done. 
I look at the schedule, though, and I don't see anybody that the Mets are going to get healthy against. I just need them to win series, just win two out of three. Mm-hmm. And the thing that's so frustrating about this recent series against the Padres is a couple of bounces go a couple of different ways, and they sweep the Padres. Right. It's the difference between the Mets being six games under today yeah. and coming into today being two games under Imagine today, they're two games under. They're coming off of a great performance by Jacob DeGrom. DeGrom pitched into the ninth inning last night. Yes, Amazing. The quiet ace of the staff just went out and got the job done. And it was lovely to see. And it was fantastic. And, you know, I just couldn't be happier for him and for the team. And tonight, we've got Zach Wheeler taking the mound to give his standard maybe six innings. Let's see what he can do. <laughs> Anything to keep, you know, Neil Hernandez off the field. Neil, Neil Ramirez, Ramirez, excuse yes. me, off yes. of the field. Why is, I mean, I understand, look, we've, Montero right. has been has been sent down. Um, I realize the the Neil Ramirez era has been brief. <laughs> um, but I, Let's let him blow a few more saves before we start calling him Doug Sisk. I think that I... He's only recorded two more outs than I have. <laughs> Again, yeah. you know, it's a, it's a mid-season pickup. Yeah. He certainly is not expected to, um, you know, to be put in any high-leverage situations. But then, why do you have him on the team? Here's what I've been doing when I get really frustrated by the performance of the Mets bullpen is I start watching the people coming out of the bullpen for the opposing teams. They're just as bad. Yes. Like you're right. when, when we're getting, when the Mets are getting like three, four consecutive hits off of a reliever in the seventh or eighth inning, that guy is just as bad as Neil Ramirez. Right. Neil Ramirez. That guy like, is our next option. Yes. That is future yes. Mets. So, so we we tend as Mets fans to think that we are the center of the universe and like that the Mets point. are like the performance of the team is somehow karmic retribution for something. It's just a baseball game. Like, yeah, like I know. Like, it'll get better. So I the, promise you. Baseball is at a very interesting evolutionary point right now. As I was mentioning earlier, you know, like starters are meant to go maximum 100 pitches. Mm-hmm. However, basically, you get in the, you're get you a starter, you've got 100 pitches. DeGrom last night threw 120. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. But you've got 100 pitches. How long can you last with those 100 pitches? The issue is we haven't yet evolved from a bullpen perspective of having somebody who can regularly come in and give you more than one inning. Um. Some guys can do it. I look at you know Andrew Miller, who's in who's yeah. in Cleveland right yeah. now, or the way that the um, the way that Terry Francona and Joe Madden use their bullpens in the postseason. Short term, people use it. Yeah, you know we've we've not yet gotten to the model because it's a long season where you have that done regularly, where a starter gets pulled after the fourth. Yeah, and you go because it's a high leverage situation. You bring in a reliever who's going to give you, you know, two innings, maybe more. We haven't gotten there yet. I did think it was interesting that um, when they recently sent Josh Smoker down to uh, AAA for a couple of weeks, specifically with the eye towards stretching him out so he could pitch two innings. Yes. That he could somehow, uh, 
I remember hearing that that he wasn't getting a, a couple of his secondary pitches weren't weren't as sharp as they had been. So the idea was to get all of his pitches working so he could become a two inning reliever. Unfortunately, we have or had a two inning reliever that was really really good for short periods of time, but then really really bad for short periods of time, and that's Hansel Robles. And I still think there's a spot on this team for Hansel Robles. Um, we will see him again. We will see him again soon. He's too good. We have not seen the last to, to, to be stuck here. It's just he's so, like, he's all or nothing. And and we, and part of it is we are now in this place where everyone is panicking. So every bad thing, every bad bullpen outing just becomes more fuel for the fire. Um, this is the reason why managers get fired. Not yes. because it's going to change anything, but it just changes the conversation. It does. And I, I mean, if nothing else, the bullpen has launched a number of podcast discussions. <laughs> as has Terry Collins' use of that bullpen. There's a lot of criticism of Terry Collins. Um, some of it is justified. None of it, to me, feels more justified to me than his use of the bullpen. I think that he's, uh, what is he doing to poor Jerry Blevins? Oh, God, his and, arm's going to fall off. And if you, look, I, I didn't build the team. I don't, I don't propose, or suppose, I should say, to know more than the manager does. He knows who's out there. It, but it feels to me, as a viewer, the story that I take away from this is he's got too many people, he's, he's making too many moves. Yeah, I, I would agree he's making too many moves, but I still think that most of the problem with Terry Collins' use of the bullpen is his starters. And that if his starters yes. were getting into the sixth inning um, every day, this would be less of a problem. But he's bringing people in in the fifth every game. Yes. And at a certain point, you know, you just, you're just patching holes and you're just throwing people out there just to eat up innings, and they're not eating up innings. So there's there's little that he can do. Are there individual tactical choices he could make to put people in a better position? Absolutely. But you know what? I don't That's, want someone standing over my shoulder pointing out all the times I make mistakes in my job. Right. That's hindsight like, being yeah. 2020. This episode of Flushing Transit Authority is brought to you by Terry Collins University. Are you considering a career in baseball management? You can go to Terry Collins U and learn about bullpen management and lineup construction as well as media relations from Terry himself. Classes start in early October and financial aid is available. And tell them you heard the ad on Flushing Transit Authority to get priority registration for the fall semester. Wow, that's 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 really incredible. I think uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna take a look at their uh, course catalog. Uh, if I have time in my schedule, I may try and audit. I think Dick Scott is teaching a class on uh, sunflower seed management. Oh, wow. That, uh, nice. I think I'm going to try and audit right. if I can get into that. I think that there's a great weekend seminar on hot foot avoidance. It's gonna be wow. it's gonna be really unless good. they unless unless it's uh, unless they have guest lecturer Roger McDowell. I don't know. Uh, He's available okay. <laughs> now. I'm he oh, is available. That's a good point. Going back to our you know who do we replace people with? That yeah, would be, I have some problematic issues with with Roger yeah. McDowell, the person. Ah, uh, I don't know has, enough about him uh, as a person. He has um, he has said some things. Oh, he has some um, things. He has been he has been guys. Come on, stop saying some things. How hard is this? Yes. 
McDowell has uh, has said some things, and um, I hope that he has become a better person since he said those things. Speaking of hoping for better, uh, uh, better evolution. Um, so it's Memorial Day. Uh, what do we think is gonna? What do we think is gonna happen over the next couple of weeks? What do you see? Uh, what do you see? In well, the next two weeks. You know what I always do, mm-hmm. which is I always look on the sunny side. Yeah. However, really, after a whole episode of, of, of panic and let's tear the team down and trade everything, you're you're gonna look on the sunny side. But I do. It's like why do I go? <laughs> why do I put my TV on every day or put the radio on? Right. You know, every day, new ball game, mm-hmm. new start. You can start a winning streak. That's the beauty of baseball, is that every day mm-hmm. you got hope. So I'm gonna turn on the TV tonight. And I'm going to say, hey, they're going to turn that one-game winning streak into a two-gamer. Speaking of people who have said some things who maybe, you know, need to get their, get their, uh, get their crap together, have you reached the point um, where you are, you've become the Randy Quaid fan? Uh, Randy Quaid's ca- uh, character in Major League who just, every inning, everything that happens is a disaster. You know, I think... If I'm not there today, mm-hmm. I'm getting there. Because I'm always waiting for the disaster. Right. The other night, the, there was a game against the Padres that happened on Wednesday of this week. Oh, that was a rough And one. if, you know, I'm not a drinker, mm-hmm. but boy, that game made me want to reconsider that. When you lead off the eighth inning with a man on second base and nobody out, and you can't move that runner over to third and bring him home, that'll make you angry. So, that was a tough loss. Yes. Now, remember, it got worse the inning after that. Yes. The night they load the bases with nobody yes. out, come away with right. nothing. That was a tough loss. No getting around that. However, I don't think it even comes close to how bad the loss against the Padres was two years ago when Juris Familia gave up that rain-bogged home run in the whatever inning it was. And that, that was a terrible, terrible, terrible loss. But what happened the next game? Yes. Wilmer Flores hit the season-defining Tears of Joy home run. Now, people forget about that game. Because remember, the night before that game, the, the game you're referring to um, was an afternoon game against the Padres. The night before was the Wilmer Flores Crying on the field game. Yes. And when we look back at 2015, we tend to look at the tears of Wilmer Flores as the turning point, the day that Wilmer Flores became a legend. However, the next day, the Mets suffered possibly the worst loss in a, in a non-playoff situation of the last 10 years. And all it did was set the stage for one of the great moments in our yes. franchise's mm-hmm. history. That whole weekend of Flores hitting the home run, the Cespedes trade, and then everything taking off. So the Mets and Mets fans as a franchise, as a group, we live and die on the magic, on the comeback, on the improbable. But in order for these amazing comebacks to happen, you have to dig the hole first. You cannot have the comeback without the hole. So, they so have we to are dig digging the hole so the deep. Hole. This hole is not that deep. It feels deep because we're used to being in the hole. This hole is not that deep. 
they can get out of this. And, and it's going to feel all the sweeter when they do because of this. And I still go back to, we do not have John May- Mayberry and we do not have Eric Campbell hitting four and five in our lineup. Right. I will take this. A, we should have a healthy Cespedes back next week. Yes. Cespedes means we've got an outfield of Conforto, Bruce, and Cespedes. In whatever order you want to you right. shake that up. Yeah. Um, I now, can look forward to that. Now, that's not to say I don't get angry. I don't get frustrated. But I tend to not get angry or frustrated anymore with the players because... It doesn't make any sense. Right. like, I mean, we've said many times in this podcast, we can't do what they right. do. It's ridiculous. They're people. They're doing the best they I can. I get frustrated with the media and with, uh, um, sometimes I, and sometimes I get frustrated with the, uh, the announcers that cover the team. Now, let me say, I love the announcing teams, both TV and radio. I think the radio announcing team is incredible. I'm a huge fan of Howie Rose. I think he's one of the best sports broadcasters, play-by-play guys I've ever heard. I just enjoy listening to him. I really like Josh Lewin. Um, I think he's added a real uh, great tone, uh, 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 air of levity yes. to the broadcasts. Um, I really, really enjoy when they bring Mark Kerrig in uh, from Newsday. Uh, they bring him in every every fourth, inning. fourth inning to discuss stuff. It's a hugely enjoyable uh, broadcast. They do a wonderful job. However, oh, there's a butt coming. There's a butt coming. They have been going on and on the past couple of starts about whenever Matt Harvey pitches, they just keep talking about his body language and how his body language looks bad. And they gotta stop. The body language is not the reason Matt Harvey is not pitching well. The body language is a result of Matt Harvey not pitching well. And they just keep talking about how, like, God, he looks different. He doesn't seem like he's the same pitcher. He's not the same pitcher. He had a surgery to remove a rib from his body. The mechanics of this finely tuned engine are not working the same way. He's figuring it out. And, like, they they all know this. And they all even say, like, offhandedly, like, well, you look at the other people who have had the surgery and uh, Chris Carpenter, who like struggled in his whole the one season he came back, he, it was a slog the whole season, and then he hung it up. Or um, Chris Young had this surgery, and the, his first season back it was a slog, but then you know by the second season he had put it back together again. This is what it's going to be. Yeah. Stop making a story about it being a Matt Harvey's emotional and mental weakness. It's just making it worse. Anyway, that's that's nope, just that's driving fair, me nuts. That's a fair um, let him pitch criticism. or don't let him pitch, but shut up about the body language. Right, batters aren't saying, "Oh, Matt's got his head down." Yeah, you know they're still standing there and they're, they're looking at they're seeing the pitch count. Let him throw. Talk about the results. Yeah, yeah, but don't worry about how does but, it look. But it's it. But again, it's another version of. We as New York sports fans care more about what it looks like than what it actually is. Right. I don't care what it looks like as long as the performance is there. Right. And, you know, performance, win or loss. Yeah. Like, you know, we're, he's not going to go out there and win every time. Yeah. As, as, yeah. as we know. Anyway, that, that's just been really, really bothering me. That's fair. the past couple of weeks. And, so, and, and, and because they're, they know better than this. Right. How he's been around. Yeah. How he's been around the Mets. 
for his whole life. Yeah. He knows the story. Uh, I still say, I used to have, and I don't, I don't have this, and I wish I still uh, had a possession of this. I used to have a cassette tape that was a, WFAN ran a um, season highlights after the 1999 season. Okay. Of like the radio calls of all of the right, um, I used to love playoffs, those. and and back in the late nineties, the radio booth was Gary Cohn and Howie Rose, and to me, that is the all time great pairing. Like the two of them working together was just incredible, right? Because um, Bob Murphy was still around. He was but still was around. Doing a reduced schedule. Yeah, he was around. Kiner was still around. They would come in for a couple of innings, yeah. but the bulk of it was Gary and Howie, and they were fantastic. And so I used to walk around New York when I still lived in New York, just listening on my little Radio Shack cassette tape player, listening to the highlights of the '99 season yeah. that they called. Um, it. And it's one of my one of my indelible memories. If I could find that tape. I would put it on and listen to it while reading Matt Callen's book. Fantastic. Actually, I wonder if Matt has got that recording. <laughs> he probably does. He has, he has got a treasure trove of stuff. Yeah, I have to say, like, I love hearing old radio. But we can do a whole yeah. other discussion yeah. about, you know, old radio broadcasts. So, getting back to the question of what's happening over the next two weeks. I'm going to tell you, I don't know. That's a good first I step have, for you. I have That's no idea. That's a really positive first step to not <laughs> to not 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 say you know eight wins, one loss. I don't know. Like, I hope that the team goes out there. I hope that players get healthy. I hope everybody has a good time and nobody gets hurt. Yeah, that's all. All I want are you know we and we joked about that. We joked about this for years when when Fred Wilpon said you know we're aiming for uh, meaningful games in September. Mm-hmm. And we were like, give me a break. Like, that's what we're aiming for. And I, I even remember when we got back to the unexpectedly got on one on that run in 2015, what were we tweeting back and forth right. every game? Hashtag meaningful games. Yep. These are meaningful games still. And and we are in every one of these. We have not played a game. The Mets have not played a game that they have been overmatched and did not have a chance of winning. Right. Every day. And, you know, after being in the desert for, you know decades at a time, this is good. These are the good days. Yeah. Yeah, this is this team bears no resemblance yeah. to some of the terrible Mets teams of the past. Yeah. We've got the players. Um, the pieces are there. It just hasn't worked. Luckily for the Mets, it's not working so great for anybody else in the National League other than the Colorado Rockies, who are unexpectedly running yeah. away with their division. Um, but nobody's... nobody's Pulling way out ahead. There's a lot of room to move. The Mets have got a couple of teams to, to jump over. But you're right. They're in it. It's now, you know, again, it's the end of May. The season is not over. They're a couple of good weeks away from being right in it. Yes. Yes. And we'll get Cespedes back next week, hopefully. Uh, I really, really am looking forward to getting Lugo and Mats back just to Take the pressure off everyone else. Right. Um, and, you know, um, let's see where we are in a couple of weeks. I'm not saying they'll be completely dug out of the hole. I, I'll guarantee you this. There will be at least one game in the next two weeks that they will lose, that they could have won, and it will feel terrible. Right. Our task is to forget about 
I know, but like clockwork, when that happens, that's when you get the email from me saying, yeah. this is terrible, <laughs> it's over. Um, yes, that's when you will get that email, and you remind me, tomorrow's another day. Here, here's what I want you to imagine when, when that happens. I want you to picture the 1986 World Series, Game 1, the ground ball going beneath Tim Tuffles. Oh, man. They lost the game one nothing on that. But what did, what did he do and what did we do? We were like, shake it off, got to get back in there. No time to worry about that. We got to worry about the one that's right in front of us. In retrospect, that's what I remember. Um, I don't know how I, I don't remember how I felt in the moment. Other than I was mad at Tim Tuffle. Yeah. But, you know, game two, Goodens v. Clemens. That was, you know, that was like, let's just that, get it past us. And yeah. Focus on what's coming next. Maybe the less we talk about game two. Yeah, let's not do that. Let's, yeah. yeah let's, let's not, not really do that. that. Okay, all right, all right. That was not, not, that was not very helpful. But let's just, let's just wrap this up. We started here. I'm still wearing this shirt today. Keep calm. Carry on. We are Mets fans. We have been in so many worse places than this. Um, I still have hope. I'm going to try to keep that hope. My hope only lasts as far as the bullpen can take me. <laughs> well, hopefully that will be a little further than it has. Um, I certainly hope so. Yeah.